All right, good morning. Good morning. Today is the first day. I wouldn't want to miss the first day. The students are going to the new student ministry center. Isn't that awesome? Today is the first day. And they can use the bathroom over there if they need to. They don't have to come back. So, yeah, that was what was holding us up. Internet, everything. You may never see your kids again. Have you been over there? It is a nice, nice place. So we're, uh, we're so happy about that. So I just saw them go out the front door. And this will be kind of a work in progress if you're a parent of a teenager over there. Uh, make sure you're comfortable with everything. And we might need to institute some, uh, some practices like, for instance, the biggest guys with guns walking them over or something, you know, and back. I don't know. We, we need to... We need to make sure everybody's comfortable. <clears throat> but we're so excited about that building. Thank you for all you've done to help us get it. Uh, you gave for it. You, you worked on it. You did so much. And we're, we're so happy today. That means Aubrey can start uh, remodeling this, the big classroom back here that the students used to occupy. So seeing some growth and some changes here, some great things coming. And speaking of Aubrey, I know she's not in here right now, but just continue to pat her on the back. I mean, before Jed, isn't Jed great? I know, I know most of you like Jed. I hope all of you do. Jed's doing a great job. He's invested in our community. He's invested in ministry and leadership. I just think he's going to do a great job here, and he is already. Uh, but before Jed, there was Aubrey. Aubrey held it together, didn't she? She carried us uh, through on this campus. Yeah. So make sure you let her know that, uh, Chad, you ought to do something for her, like take her to subway or something. You pay this time you pay. Yeah. So, um, uh, and before Aubrey, there was this other guy, I forget his name now, but from Ohio, I don't know, but, uh, I, I, I'm so happy and pleased and proud of this campus the momentum we have going, the VBS we just recently had, uh, so many good things happening here. Uh, I mean, honestly, I didn't tell this to the first service, but we're, we're already talking about having to go that way. I don't know if it's possible or uh, how we're going to do it, but we're, we're talking about the need to go that way. And we got this great piece of property here to do that, so God blessed us with that. Well, good morning, and I'm uh, uh, Pastor Dave. I uh, thank you for being here. Maybe you're new, maybe you're not. I recognize most of you, but if you're not, today we're doing kind of a campus swap. Jed is preaching at the big house in St. Albans. So I know he had a little bit of butterflies this morning. He's going to do great, yeah. And uh, Dennis, who's our, uh, leading the charge at Marmette, Marmette's got some great momentum. I wish you could see everything that's going on in Marmette. Uh, he's in Beckley, and our new Beckley guy, Josh, that you guys met here uh, several months ago, he's in Marmette. So it's kind of a upset the preacher basket today, and uh, I get to come here. So it's been a while, and I'm glad, I'm glad to be here uh, to preach. Seems like July was a busy month. I did a whole lot more traveling, got stuck in an airport, had to sleep in the Atlanta airport, but next week we're talking about hell, okay? Now that's the sermon. Next week this, uh, this will come back up, I think, as an illustration. And then after that, uh, 
Last week and today is kind of standalones. Preachers could do whatever they want. After that, after hell next week, we're going to preach, uh, begin a sermon series from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. We're going to do a sermon series on Matthew 5, 6, and 7. So if you want to read ahead, start reading the Sermon on the Mount from different versions of the Bible, you're going to be ahead if you do that. And the first one will be the, uh, the 27th, all right? But let's get down to here, and I'm excited about the pushing into fall. I think our church, as a church, we, we, of course we have hiccups, we've got some things going on that we'd rather not have going on, but there's still a lot of momentum, a lot of people are interested in, um, in our guy, a lot of people are interested in our guy, and, and our guy, and excuse the, um, the, um, the, the common way I put that, but uh, you know, we're, we're not here for me, or for Jed, or for any of you, or Anybody else? We're here for who? For Jesus, yeah. We're here for Jesus. He's worthy of it all. And so, uh, people are interested in that. Historically, people have been interested in Jesus. Now, what's going on in our time, and this is an unusual time, very unusual, not, not just here in America, but in the world, people have a distrust of uh, organizations and institutions. And they see, many of them, see the church as a corrupt organization. Now, the, the scandals that have happened throughout the history of the church, and uh, largely, I think, from the Roman Catholic Church, but even some from what we would call Protestant or evangelical uh, um, uh, ministries, has not helped our cause. Nonetheless, people are still interested in Jesus. They just don't like the church. They don't like the church. We've got to change that, don't we? People need Jesus. And I would submit to you, they need the church. What would we do without the people coming around us? What would we do without the people we sit in a circle with and, and pray with and fellowship with and eat with and play with and, and uh, you know, carry the burdens with? That, that's what we need. No man is an island, someone said, and uh, no one should go through it alone. No Christian should go through any burden in life alone. If they do, it would be their own choice because that's why we exist as the church. So somehow, George Barna says we got to change this. He did a survey in 2017 that, that reaffirmed that a majority of people in the United States like Jesus... But they don't like the church. Well, we got to change that perception, don't we? We got to show the world who Jesus really is. We got to get ourselves out of the way so they can see who Jesus is. And in a way, it's kind of a, you know, there, there are even so called Christians who say, you know, I'm a Christian and uh, I pray, I read the Bible, I just don't like the church. Well, that would be like you coming up to me and saying, hey, Dave, I, I, I like you, but I really don't like your wife. She's mean. She's nasty. And I'll grant maybe sometimes she is when you can't see that. Uh, that's not right. She never, she doesn't have that in her body. Great woman. God gave me a great woman. Uh, and Can I get an amen on that? 
If you know my wife, she's a great woman. But if you came up to me and said, I don't like her, that would be kind of offensive to me. I'm not sure you and I could have a relationship if you hated my wife. We couldn't be friends if you hated my wife. And that's the same kind of thing that's going on. There, People are saying, hey, Jesus, I like you. I just don't like your bride. I just don't like your bride. Well, the bride's not perfect. The bride has flaws. But I love my bride. I love every one of her flaws. I love her. And she loves me. You understand what I'm saying here? So we, we got to work on uh, the disconnect between who the church is and who Jesus is. Who Jesus is. What was he really like? You know, people have been asking that question for 2,000 years. Back in Mark chapter 6, verse 2, the Bible says, On the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? When John the baptizer was put into prison by Herod the Tetrarch, he sent some of his disciples who came to visit him. He sent them to ask about Jesus. And the question he asked him is, who are you? Are you the one we're looking for? Who are you? When, when Jesus was asleep in the boat and they woke him up because they were afraid of the storms, and Jesus got up and spoke to the winds and the waves, his disciples even asked one another, the Bible tells us, who is this? And even the winds and the waves obey him. Who is this man? Who is this man? Who is Jesus? It's a great question to ask. And perhaps we've been misrepresenting him to the world because we don't really know who he is. We think he's one thing when really he's something else. Today we're going to talk about an aspect of who he is that I think if we could get this, if we could understand this, it would change how we portray him and interact and engage the world. Who is he? He is Jesus, a friend of sinners. Remember that song? I love that song, Jesus, friend of sinners. And what we're going to do this morning is we're going to walk our way through a story in Luke chapter 7. This is expository preaching. Expository preaching is when I read a verse and then we comment on that verse and work our way through it. Topical preaching, which is sometimes what we do, next week will be a topical sermon. The topic is hell. And we're going to reach into lots of parts of Scripture and see what the Bible says about hell. We're going to ask questions about it, and that's a topical. This is expository, which means we're just going to read through the Scripture and let the Scripture say what it wants to say. Luke 7 is one of those places where we can see that Jesus was a friend of sinners. You ready? Everybody with me? Okay. Verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Now, it was common in that day. Again, we're going to work our way through this, all right? It was common in that day for when a big-time rabbi or a prophet or somebody who was well-known came through the town, it was very common for someone to invite him into their home. And that someone was usually someone of means, someone of up, upstanding character in the eyes of the community. 
And so the someone is this guy named Simon. Simon was a Pharisee. And Simon said, oh, Jesus is coming to town. I heard Jesus was coming to town because Jesus often sent his disciples ahead of time to make sure, you know, everything was good to go. They were the recon team, if you're a military background. And so they would recon the area and say, yeah, okay, Jesus is coming to town. You guys get ready. Get, get your sick people ready. Get, get, get your... Pharisees, you get ready. Everybody get ready. And so Simon said, hey, will he come to my house and eat? They said, okay, we'll talk to him. So they got on their cell phone and said, hey, Jesus, uh, Simon wants to know if you'll come to his house. And he said, yeah, I'll do that. And uh, so Simon invited Jesus in. And it was, it was not so much for Jesus as it was, to, not so much to honor Jesus as it was to, to flout who Simon was. You get that, right? I mean, when I said the word Pharisee, you understood what, what's going on here. And it was also common to leave the doors open. Leave the door open, people can come in. You know, I'm very magnanimous here. We're generous. You can stand in the side on the corners. Just don't interfere with what's going on around the table. Because we got some serious business to take care of. We're going to let him speak. We're going to let him talk. And we're going to let him eat. So it was okay to come in. Just don't interrupt anything. And behold, verse 37, a woman of the city who was a sinner. Daggone, you, get, you just can't keep people out, can you? When she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of ointment. Now, don't confuse this story in Luke 7 with John 12 story where, where Mary went to wash the feet of Jesus. I, they're similar, but I don't think they're the same. In verse 38, we read, And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now, we don't know much about this woman. We don't know her name. We just know what Luke tells us, that she was a woman of the city, and she was a sinner. Those two descriptions right there kind of give us an idea that her, uh, her, her job description would have kind of used one word. I'm available. Available. Right? Anybody been to Las Vegas? You know, they hand out those cards. And, uh, and it says, uh, available. Call me. Text me. Get in touch with me. I'm available for you tonight. And so she was a prostitute. There's no doubt about that. She, she was a prostitute. And maybe she had some other addiction or some other problem. Everyone in town knew about her. They knew her reputation. It was not a good reputation. But we know something else about her just from the story. And that was that she was seeking something, wasn't she? She was hurting and she was seeking. Or else she wouldn't have been there. I mean, she came in and, and couldn't hold back the tears the tears began to flow just from being in his presence. You know, I think when we get to heaven one day, I think we'll be, the Bible says no more tears, but I, I think that's really sad tears. I don't know really how we'll, how we'll react, but I, I think we will absolutely be in awe being in the presence of the Lord. I think we'll be in awe. I think we'll be just crying. What, whatever her problems were, she brought them all with her. Trapped in sinful behavior, I think that's the best thing for any of us to do. Amen? We should bring them. This woman knew that Jesus called people to a better life. We, we know or we believe that she believed he, he could do it. He could deliver. There's an old Turkish proverb that says, No matter how far you've gone down the wrong road, 
It's never too late to turn back. Amen? No matter how far you've gone, it's never too late to come back. This woman was coming back. Maybe she had heard Jesus teach somewhere before. or Maybe she had heard about his teaching, about his miracles. Whatever was going on in her heart, in her mind, she couldn't control it. And she just began to cry, to weep. Now, I asked the first service, uh, I don't know if, if this is just me, the first service kind of indicated that it's not just me, but it, it seems like the older I get, the easier I cry. Anybody? Yeah. Will you help me out here? Will you, will you be open and honest with me and confess this morning? Has anybody cried uh, watching a commercial? Come on, you've cried watching a commercial. Yeah. Even commercials are a good show. We went to see Sound of Freedom, the movie. You should go see that. You should go see Sound of Freedom. we got to support movies like this. And uh, it, it's a tough movie to watch to understand what's happening in the child and sex slavery uh, arena. But uh, there's, there's tears, but there's happy tears too. But listen, uh, this woman, she couldn't contain it. And, and so I guess she was standing close enough to him. Obviously, her tears began to splash on his feet, mixing with the dirt on his feet. And she got down on her hands and knees and began to wipe them off with her hair. With her hair. And this is, a, this is an unusual scene. It was, it was not really welcomed in this house. Look, we said you could come in, but you got to stay in the back. Don't get too close to the guest, especially the guest of honor. But you know, Jesus really wasn't getting any honor except from her. And, and uh, maybe, maybe his feet were, maybe they stunk a little bit. I don't know. You know, he was a man. He's walking around. He had the same things that we do, and she put a little perfume on his feet. No doubt that perfume was a, was a tool of her trade, tool of her trade to make herself smell a little bit better when the next guy came around. Verse 39 says, Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. You see, when a man took a vow to become a Pharisee, he, t- he took a very serious vow. A Pharisee, as you know from looking back on Scripture, a Pharisee was a very legalistic, religious person. I mean, when they, when they became a Pharisee, they took a vow to obey the law every, have you heard this phrase, jot and tittle? Every jot and tittle. Do you know what a jot and tittle is? In some languages, we, we use little, uh, we use little uh, marks over a letter, like we were talking about the word manana. Manana, which means tomorrow, tomorrow in Spanish. And over that uh, N, the first N, there's a... There's a, the Inya. What is that called? A, a what? Tilda. Thank you. So Inya Tilda. Okay. Have y'all used the tilde lately in your writing? So in English, we use uh, we sometimes we use apostrophes and we use commas, for instance. And commas matter. For instance, uh, uh, yesterday, uh, James and I were, and Jennifer, we were sitting down for dinner, and we're dog-setting right now for our daughter who's gallivanting across Europe for two months, and we've got Summit. And my wife, when she came through, she said, do you want to eat Summit? 
I said, no, I don't want to eat Summit. I don't think Taylor would appreciate that. Plus, I, think, I don't think it would taste very good. Well, you know, uh, uh, the comma, she didn't use the comma. She should have said, Summit, do you want to eat? But Summit got his food, we got our food, but commas matter. So these Pharisees were so meticulous that if you left the comma out, if you left the jot or the tittle or the, what'd you call that thing again? Tilda. When you left that out, they'd call you on it and say, you're wrong. You know, like your English professor. She would call you out on everything. So this, this Pharisee was one of those guys. He saw every mistake. He saw every problem. He saw the dust. He saw everything. And he was there to let everybody know he had seen it. And so uh, this developed into a self um, uh, hypocritical nature. They were judgmental. They were self-reliant. Their attitudes were bad. You know, those of us who have personalities where we see the dust before we see the clean things, we have to be careful, don't we? We have to be careful not to call out the cobweb when, uh, you know, when there's dinner on the table, but there's cobweb. Yeah, we got to be careful or we become judgmental. And Jesus called him in Matthew 23, hypocrites, blind guides, blind fools, snakes, and a brood of vipers. It was a Pharisee who brought the woman caught in the act of adultery in John chapter 8. Remember that? He threw her in there in the middle of the, of the square, town square, with all the people around her. And they said, she deserves to die. She's guilty of breaking the law. Well, the last time I checked, it took two to commit the act of adultery, right? Where was he? He's probably one of them. Probably one of them. That was, that was their their job to exploit the woman and to trap Jesus. To exploit the woman. Simon was in that same vein. He, was, he, he lacked a little grace and love. Someone said, God prefers a, loveless, uh, um, sorry, a loving sinner over a loveless saint every time. Simon was a loveless saint who had a condescending attitude toward this sinful woman. If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is. Well, guess what? Jesus did know, didn't he? He did know what kind of woman she was. He did know what was at the bottom of her heart. You see, sinners are God's kind of people. Amen? Uh, well, that, that wasn't very convincing. Let me just put it this way. Is anybody here not a sinner? Raise your hand, please. Who is a sinner? Thank you. You're God's kind of people, and your sins may be a little bit better than hers. Or maybe you hide them better. Or maybe you think, oh, they're not hurting anybody. It's just me. But I want to tell you, every sin deserves punishment. And every punishment for sin involves damnation without the grace of God. Amen? Hey, well, I got to wake you people up a little bit here. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. That was Jonathan Edwards' sermon. Don't look at God as angry, but God's going to show his anger soon. You see, this was, the, this was the problem that people had with Jesus. He hung out with sinners. He hung out with sinners. 
Let me ask you a question. If Jesus were here today, would you be the type he'd hang out with? You don't have to answer that out loud. When he called Levi or Matthew to be his disciples, they all came over to Matthew's house, and the Bible says many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him. It was kind of one of those parties where the, where the guys in recovery, the drug addicts, like, oh, well, this must be our party. In Mark 2, the Bible says the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why is he always with the, the bad crowd? He went into the home of Zacchaeus, another tax collector, and all the people saw him go in there, and they said, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. Matthew eleven nineteen, he was talking about John the baptizer, and he said, the son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And in one of the most famous passages in the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 15, which we often call the lost chapter because there's a lost sheep, lost coin, and a lost boy, also known as the prodigal son, the very first verse of that chapter, who was in the audience? The Bible says now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear Jesus. If Jesus were here today, would he hang out with you? Would you, have, would you have time for him? So when Simon showed his utter disgust with this woman, Jesus just responded with utter style and grace. Verse 40, and Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And Simon probably kind of straightened up, took his attention off the woman, and he said, say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors, Jesus said. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? You see, Jesus knew what kind of woman this was, but he also knew what kind of man Simon was. And although he knew this woman was guilty of sins of the flesh, he knew Simon was guilty of sins of the heart, sins of the, of the attitude. And oh, we sit sometimes so smug in our attitudes, looking down our noses at people who have sins of the flesh and open and making those poor choices out there. Oftentimes, we're not the prodigal. We're the older brother. We're the older brother who was just as disgusting to the father because of his condescending attitude. So Simon answered, the, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged correctly. Then turning toward the woman, listen, to this. this is kind of a, a shift. You know, Jesus now is looking at the woman, but he's talking to Simon. Can you see this? He's looking at this woman who's just been emotionally washed. She, she's, just, she's just poured it all out there. And now she's being judged and criticized with these looks. And Simon's giving her... And all the other people, he turns to the woman and he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. You see, when someone comes to your house, you show them a little respect, right? Someone comes to your house, you might say, hey, are you hungry? I love it when people say that to me. Anybody else? Are you hungry? You say, no. I'm not hungry. What you got? 
Hey, if you're smart, you show up when they're eating, right? <clears throat> Amen. You get smart about it. Well, you might take their coat if it's winter time and put it in the closet or on the bed. Uh, you, you know, you, you, might, you might offer them something to drink. You show common courtesy and respect. That, that's what we do, and that's what lots of cultures do. In the first century, there were three acts of kindness when someone came to your home. There was a kiss of peace. You've seen them kiss on both jaws. You know, you've seen that. There was a bowl of water to wash your feet. You know, these people didn't walk around in closed-toed shoes or the shoes that you and I wear. They were uh, wearing sandals. They were on dirt roads. And so either there was a bowl there for them to wash their own feet or there was a bowl there if they had money for a servant to come wash their feet. And then there was a drop of perfume in the center of the forehead. You know, just kind of, you know, let's just make a good smell here. And Simon didn't do any of those things. He hadn't offered anything. You see, Simon wasn't in this for, to honor Jesus. He was in this to honor himself. It's like some of us show up for church thinking we're doing Jesus a favor. It's like, oh, I'll go show up so they can see I was there. We're not showing up for, for ourselves. We're showing up for Jesus. And we happen to get the benefit of Jesus for ourselves when we come with the right attitude. But if we come in with our arms folded and we say, oh, let's see what kind of songs they sing today and how well they do and how good the preacher keeps my attention and how well they take care of my kids back there because I'm going to give them one more Sunday or I'm going to, you know, I'm going to uh, let them know about or whatever. If we come in that way, then yeah, you, you look for something like that, you're going to find something like that. You're going to find something because this is not the perfect church. Well, I've heard Taste Valley Campus is close, but this, seriously, is not the perfect church, but we serve a perfect God. Amen. We serve a perfect God. So Simon hadn't done this, so Jesus set him straight, and he said, therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. You ever notice that people who are deep in sin that are... Uh, you know, have come out of some kind of a lifestyle, they seem to be more appreciative of grace. Amen. A couple weeks ago, I had the privilege of leading our guys in recovery. We have about uh, maybe 15 right now in recovery ministry over at our St. Albans campus. And throughout the summer, we had Wednesday night uh, Bible studies for them because small groups are not back. You know, small groups took a break. So during this time, we led... Um, uh, Bible studies. I think you did it once, didn't you, Chad? And so we kind of took turns leading the, the uh, recovery guys. And they're good guys. They're good guys. They've all got a past. Some of them came out of jail. Some of them, you know, were, were threatened with jail, whatever. And uh, the last time I did it, which was a couple weeks ago, there was this guy there, brand new. He'd only been there for two hours. He'd only been in the house for two hours. And uh, he came in, he's a big guy. He's a big guy. And he, he kind of came in and he sat over in the corner. You could tell he was uh, wanting to stay out of the way, but I, what I always do when I'm there, because we have such a turnover, with some of those guys relapse and some of them graduate and whatever, I always say, "Hey, just just remind me who you are, and uh, and what, uh, what how long you've been here, and what you expect to get out of the program." And so they all did. When it got Luke's turn, Luke said, uh, you know, "My name's Luke. I just got out of jail uh, today. I've been here a couple hours." He said, and um, he said, I want to be free. I, I just want to get clean. I want to be free. That's what I want out of this program. 
I said, Luke, that's what's in your future. That's what's in your future. And, and I just think people like that who said, you know what, I could be sitting in jail or I could be dead. I'm grateful to have a bed to sleep on and some buddies and some food. And they, they seem to be more appreciative. Then those who are at the table with Simon began to say to themselves, who is this, or Jesus rather, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, real quickly, a couple applications in life, for your life from this story. That's the story, great story. Jesus is a friend of sinners. Here's some applications for you. First of all, when you feel trapped in your sin... Move toward Jesus. Move toward Jesus. This woman had no earthly business being in there. I mean, she was going into the house of the religious elite. She knew who she was. She just had to get close to Jesus. She just had to get close to him. She knew there was something about him. And we often have a tendency today when we get into sin or if something happens in our life that we pull away from Jesus. We pull away from the church. We, we give up what the benefit of being a part of the church is, which is the fellowship and the help and the camaraderie and the, and the support that we get. And you say, well, when does this happen? I've been here at Gateway for 27 years. I've seen this happen a lot. That people get into trouble or something bad happens in their life, and they pull away. They pull away, and you're like, wow, come back. This is where you need to be. It reminds me of the story of the, of, the, of the guy who was talking. I think he was a preacher, and he said, you know, when I was a kid, I got into a little bit of trouble in school, but I never had to go to the principal's office until one time. And he said, uh, I had a buddy who was always in the principal's office. And, and, and that day, he said, we got paddled. Let me just ask you, how many of you got paddled in school? Loftus, I know you did. Raise your hand, both hands. Yeah. You got paddled. You know, I walked in a classroom or two, and there was the intimidator. It was, I knew it was the intimidator because it was written on the paddle. Intimidator. Steve Riley said his mother had a, a paddle. It was long, and it was called the Longfellow. <laughs> and uh, back in the day, you got paddled for things. And so this guy, his, his friend told him, he said, look, when the principal raises his hand back to bust you, he said, don't pull away, get closer to him. That way he doesn't have as much leverage. He can't hit you as hard. And uh, that was counterintuitive, wasn't it? It's counterintuitive, but it's so right. Our instinct tells us to pull away when we've sinned, but we need to go against our instincts and move toward him. Luke 5, 31 and 32 says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick I've not call, come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. At the end of the account of Zacchaeus, Jesus said, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save who? The lost. The prodigal son was deep in the muck of sin and mud, but instead of moving further away, he said, i got to go home. i got to go home and face my father. And when he faced his father, his father's arms were wide open. And that's the same that you'll find when you turn to Jesus in your sins. Not a condescending, judgmental attitude. And maybe this is where we get it wrong, church. Maybe this is why they like Jesus but not the church. They know Jesus has open arms, but do we? We have to. We have to. 
somehow we have to be known in the valley as a church that welcomes everyone. Everyone. Secondly and lastly, when your sin weighs you down, be extravagant in your worship. Be extravagant. This woman didn't seem to care that people were talking about her or that they would talk about her extravagant acts of, of, uh, of what she did there with her hair and her tears and her perfume. She, she did it because that's what God told her to do, I think. That's what she was led to do. As a lady of the night, this perfume would have been very expensive. You know, this was, this was her trade. This was her, this was her livelihood. But she was pouring it out on the feet of Jesus. Look, if you're attempting to get right with Jesus or you're kind of getting back into it, don't worry about what others say or what others think. It's not about them. It's about you and about Jesus and your relationship with him. You can worry about what's uh, uh, going to cost you or you can say, you know, I don't care what it's going to cost me. I'm coming back. There, uh, we say sometimes, look at the time you've lost. Look at, the, look at the time you've lost. You know what my suggestion would be? If you're coming back to Jesus, try to make up for it. Try to make up for it. You can't make up for it. You can't pay your way in. You can't buy your salvation. But when you turn your life around, when he saves you, when you give it all back to him, try to make up for it. Don't, don't sit in the back and just say, you know, I'm not going to do, I'm, not, I'm talk, not talking about the back here. I'm talking about the back of the service line, the back of the whatever line. Don't, don't sit there and say, you know what, uh, others can do this. I'm just kind of checking things out. No, go to the front. Go to the front of the line. Volunteer to serve. Step up, be useful. Why would you squander your time now once he's got you back where you want to be? Like you squandered it when you weren't where he wanted you to be. There's a story in the Bible about King Ahab. King Ahab was an evil king. He was evil. He was one of the most evil kings. The Bible says uh, he sold himself. This is 1 Kings 21, 25. He sold himself. There was never anyone like Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord. Can you imagine that being said of someone? And he had a wife. You remember his wife's name, anybody? Jezebel. Yeah, no, no, no parents are naming their daughters Jezebel these days, are they? Absolutely not. He behaved in the vilest manner by going after idols like the Amorites the Lord drove out before Israel. God was so angry with Ahab, he told Elijah the prophet, he said, I am going to, he told Elijah to tell Ahab, I am going to bring disaster on you. I will wipe out your descendants and cut off from Ahab every last male in Israel, slave and free, because you have aroused my anger and have caused Israel to sin. I mean, look at this. God, this is a very definitive statement by God. You are going to pay. You are so bad, so evil. So corrupt, so immoral. I'm going to wipe you off and I'm going to wipe your descendants off. There's not even going to be remembrance of you, you and your wife. And your wife, he said, is going to be eaten by dogs at the city gate. Wow. 1 Kings 21, 27. How do you think that affected Ahab? Well, if God says that to you, it better scare you, huh? Next week we're preaching on hell. I hope you come. And bring friends. And when Ahab heard those words, he tore his clothes and put sackcloth on his flesh and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went about dejectedly. In other words, he's scared to death. He's scared to death. And 
we see some genuine repentance here. It's like, man, I, I didn't know I made God that mad. And you would think God would say, Ahab, you can't fool me now. I know why you're turning now. You think you could fool me? This fake repentance. But amazingly, the next verse says this. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah, the Tishbite, saying, Have you seen how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring the disaster in his days. But in his son's days, I will bring the disaster. <laughs> okay. God's heart is so tender that when sinners turn to him in repentance, he can't help but offer love and grace. I mean, it, it could it maybe be half-hearted, but it, it shouldn't be. I think it could start half-hearted, but it needs to become genuine. It could be out of fear. We don't want to motivate you out of fear. We don't want to preach hell to scare you out of it. We want to preach love and grace. We want to preach God's mercy. But sometimes it's necessary to know what you're being saved from. And so God says, if, if, if it takes some fear, then I want to scare the hell out of you. We'll have to record, put first sermon up online now because somebody will <laughs> take that out of context. Isaiah 66 says, all these things my hand has made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. A.W. Tozer said, God loves the bent knee, the broken heart, and the wet eye. What's he seeing out of you today? Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you this day for your goodness and grace. We thank you, God, that you love a sinner like us. And you demonstrated this in your, by sending your son and his life on the earth and the people he hung out with because he knew those were the people who needed him the most. Lord, help us as a church to put that message out, that not to be condescending, not to be judgmental, but to welcome anyone and everyone in to hear the gospel, into a relationship with you. We know that you can clean us up. We know that you can, you alone can change the heart. And by your spirit, that's our effort today. We offer this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're here today and uh, you need to turn back, then I want to invite you to do that today. What better day than today? Today is the day of salvation. If you're uh, a believer, you're uh, uh, you, but you've never followed through on baptism. You know, baptism is, is the uh, first thing that Jesus did when he started his ministry and the last thing he commanded before he left. It's the first thing people in the book of Acts did when they came to a saving knowledge, a knowledge of who the Savior was. If you've never done that, don't, don't stop that demonstration of who Jesus is and what he's done in your life and that obedience to his command. Maybe you just need to transfer your membership in and say, hey, I want to link arms with Jed and Aubrey and, and we're going to keep going down this road. 
Would you come as we sing? And if you need prayer, I'll be standing right over here. Let's stand and sing.